Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen most. If you're looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. continue now our sermon series, None Like Him on the Attributes of God. Uh, Now, first, I've got to say, there are a lot of really big things in the universe, aren't there? Uh, When we begin to contemplate how massive things like the sun, stars, solar systems, nebula, black holes, and the galaxy really are, it really should remind us how small we really are. And yet, in light of the immense celestial objects that appear in the night sky to us like bright, tiny little specks, astronomers say that planet Earth is the perfect size. Too small, and we'd all float away off of it. Too big, and we'd be crushed by gravity like a pancake. Not only that, but Earth is the perfect temperature. Too cold, and we'd all be turned into popsicles too hot and we'd be burnt to a crisp. And I don't know about you, but with this hot weather we've been having, I could probably use a little bit more too cold in my life right now. You know, air, temperature, and gravity are just three of the things that need to be just right for a planet to sustain life. Air, temperature, and gravity. We need the right air and pressure in the atmosphere to breathe, We need the right temperature to channel solar energy into organic energy for food. And we need the right gravity to keep us all from drifting off into space. Air, temperature, and gravity are everywhere. They exist as physical particles, energy, and force that are all around us. Even if we pay no attention to them, our existence depends on them every moment of every day. Yet, as we learn from the Bible, we discover God is more present to us than the air you breathe, the temperature you feel, or the gravity that holds you stable. In today's sermon, we're going to unpack the attribute of God's omnipresence. If you've never heard the term omnipresence before, it's a term that simply means all-present, or in other words, that God is always present in all places. The book of Jeremiah is one portion of the Bible where God reveals quite a bit about his omnipresence in just a few verses. Uh, The book primarily deals with the subject of God's justice. Uh, Jeremiah tells us that false teachers and false prophets have overtaken God's people. 
And because of their misdeeds, the people of God no longer know what's true, what's right, or what's wrong. They're confused, they're twisted, and they've become rebellious. And the great question presented in the book of Jeremiah is whether or not God has chosen to abandon his rebellious people. Is he a God who has given up? Is he a God who is far off? Is he a God who just doesn't care anymore? Well, in Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24, you'll see that God asks three questions. Follow along in your Bibles or in your bulletins as I read. First, he says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And we learned a few sermons ago that God is self-existence, his aseity. And if that's true, it should come as no surprise that one of God's favorite ways to converse with people in the Bible is by asking rhetorical questions with self-evident answers. In Jeremiah 23, God asks three of these such questions. First, God asks, is he a God who is close or far away? Well, his answer in Jeremiah is that he's always close. He's omnipresent. Second, God asks, can people ever hide from him? Well, his answer in Jeremiah is that if he's always close, then it's impossible to escape his sight. Therefore, no one can hide from God. And third, God asks, how big is he exactly? Well, his answer in Jeremiah is that his presence exceeds that of the heavens and the earth. In just two verses, God reveals to us that his presence is so close that none can flee his reach, and that his presence is so immense that the heavens cannot even contain him. Good theology emerges straight from the scriptures, and Jeremiah 23 really helps to set the biblical foundation for a theological definition of omnipresence that I want us to look at now. John S. Feinberg defines omnipresence in this way. He says, God transcends spatial limitations and so is present at all places at once in his total being. Again, God transcends spatial limitations. He's immense and so is present at all places at once in his total being. When we talk about God being omnipresent, we're really referring to two aspects of his existence alluded to in Jeremiah and mentioned here by John Feinberg. The first one is that God is immeasurable. God is so immense that his being transcends spatial limitations. This means that there is no ruler that's long enough to measure God. And there is no object that is big enough to compare him to. Whatever the biggest thing is that you can imagine, I want you to kind of imagine that in your head. Maybe it's the universe picture that we just saw in the video. Whatever the biggest thing is that you can imagine, that thing is still infinitely smaller than the smallest thing that you can think of when compared to God. 
For example, if the universe is the biggest thing your mind can comprehend, it would be smaller than an atom in a speck of dust next to the immensity of God. Not only is God immeasurable, but second, God is everywhere. Since God's being is infinitely immense, it means that his presence is everywhere. But it's important that we understand this correctly, otherwise we might start to think of God like the force from Star Wars. And that's not quite how God describes himself in the Bible. You see, God is not diffused through the universe like a bunch of tiny pieces. Um, if you imagine that this room were filled with tiny Lego bricks just scattered everywhere, putting all the Lego bricks together wouldn't add up to God. God's existence is far more incredible and more mysterious than this. Unlike us, God is not bound by space, time, and matter. Unlike us, God is not dependent on air, temperature, or gravity. And this is because God is spirit. And if we think about his presence on simply a human level, then we're going to miss out how incredible God really is. You see, God is not a collection of parts. He is the one triune being who is distinct from his creation, and God's entire being is fully present in every single part of space. God's entire being is fully present with everything in space. However, God is not everything in space. God is distinct. And what this means is that God is not your chair. God is not this room. God is not you. However, his presence is fully with all things in all points in space. This means that God is as present in this service as he is with those who are watching online or listening online, as he is in the darkest and emptiest of places, as he is in the most sacred of places. God is fully present everywhere. Now, how can this be? Well, there are none like him. He is a spiritual being. He is the self-existent spiritual being who created space, and therefore he cannot be contained and defined by space. The great I am is the one and only omnipresent God. You know, now that we've looked at a few of the fundamentals for what it means for God to be omnipresent, for the rest of the sermon, we're going to look at some manifestations, implications, and then finally responses, our responses to God's omnipresence. So now when it comes to the manifestations of God's presence, it's important that we realize that God does not manifest his presence in the same way in every part of space. For example, the way he manifests his presence in heaven with the angels is vastly different than the way that he manifests his presence here on earth. Now, this doesn't mean that God isn't fully present, but it does mean that he is often present in ways that we as spiritually broken and materially sinful beings are just not sensitive to. Why is this? Well, Wayne Grudem writes, God manifests his presence in different ways and in different spaces according to his divine will. 
The key part there is according to his divine will. Uh, Our last message last week unpacked the wisdom of God. And if you remember, God's wisdom means that he orchestrates all things for the best possible outcome. And this means that according to God's wisdom, he sees it best for his presence to be manifest in different ways. And these special manifestations, they can be visible, they can be invisible, felt, seen, heard, they are of all kinds. And we're going to look at just three examples of them from the Bible. Now the first example might be called God's miraculous presence. Uh, This refers to all of the mysterious and unexplainable ways that God can reveal his presence to us. Now, many of us have heard that God can reveal himself to people through dreams or visions. Uh, He does this with the prophets in the Bible, and we even hear reports of God doing this today, especially among countless people in the Middle East. Dreams and visions are certainly miraculous, but I want us to consider something called a theophany. A theophanies are a general term referring to the miraculous, visible manifestations of God to people. People who experience theophanies are not dreaming, they're not hallucinating, they're not in some kind of trance. They actually experience a visible manifestation of God. In theophanies, God uses visible displays of his creation to reveal himself to us. The Old Testament in particular is full of theophanies. God visibly reveals himself to people through pillars of smoke and fire, clouds of thunder and lightning, and even sometimes in human shape and form. There are some who believe that a figure called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is no ordinary angel. Uh, Some believe the angel of the Lord is, in fact, a miraculous manifestation of the pre-incarnate Son of God. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look at Exodus 3, 1 through 6. You can pull it up there on your smartphones or uh, flip there real quick. Uh, Here we discover Moses' first encounter with God. And Moses' first encounter is actually a theophany. Uh, This is what it says. You can follow along as I read. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, there that is, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, to see God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are on is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The miraculous presence of God should remind us that God can surprise you. God can surprise you. We should never think that we have God so figured out that we know how he works or when he will appear. 
God is not a genie who can be controlled by rubbing a lamp or uttering a magical word. We don't get to decide when and how God appears miraculously. Only God does. You see, it's not as if Moses was being particularly holy in this moment. He wasn't praying. He wasn't doing anything very spiritual. God just shows up and surprises him. Moses was just going along his ordinary work for the day, wearing his dirty, smelly shepherd sandals, until out of nowhere the angel of the Lord appeared in fire. The voice of the Lord spoke to Moses from a burning bush, not in a dream, not in a vision. Moses encountered an unexplainable, visible, miraculous manifestation of the presence of God. While God may have created a universe that has predictable laws of motion, mathematics, and physics, God is not bound by his creation. God can even use his creation to reveal himself in unexplainable and surprising ways. And what this means is that if God can surprise Moses, don't be surprised if God surprises us. Now, the second manifestation of God's presence I want us to consider is God's physical presence. Although God is spirit, again, God chooses to surprise us from time to time. In Jesus, God took on flesh. This means that while God is invisibly and spiritually omnipresent, upholding all of creation in Jesus, God is also able to be physically present with us in a human body and in human form on this tiny planet called Earth. In John 1.14, we're told, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, only as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And if you're curious what the word refers to, we're told in John 1.1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Son of God's humanity and physical manifestation in the flesh is something that Christians refer to as the incarnation. Christmas is the holiday that we remember each year to celebrate the birth of Jesus and the true manifestation of God's physical presence as a human being. Now, the reason why God's physical presence is so important is that it reminds us that he is a God who is near, and he is a God who can sympathize with you. The physical presence of Jesus means that the Lord who fills the whole universe knows what it's like to live on earth, in a human body bound by air, temperature, and gravity. He knows what it's like to run out of breath. He knows what it's like to be unbearably hot and thirsty. He knows what it's like to collapse under the weight of a heavy cross. In Jesus, God intimately knows every measure of human weakness while never ceasing to remain the master of time and space. This means that if God has allowed something painful into our lives, it's never without purpose. 
Jesus is intimately acquainted with our pain, our weakness, and our loss. And we must not forget that we have a God who truly does sympathize with our afflictions. However, in all of our weaknesses, all of us at one point have gone astray. But in referring to Jesus, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Ultimately, it is because of Jesus' sinless incarnation, death, and resurrection that God is able to save sinners and to make a way for us to be filled with the third manifestation of God's presence. We'll refer to the last example here as God's spiritual presence. Even though God spiritually exists everywhere, God's spiritual presence does not interact with all beings or all creatures in creation in the same way. One of the reasons for this is that God is a holy God. When he fully manifests the grandeur of his holy spiritual presence to sinners, it quite literally knocks them dead. Um, examples of this in the Old Testament have gone on to inspire action scenes uh, like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, you would know that if you were to ever open up the Ark of the Covenant, if the movie is to be believed, you'd instantly be turned into a wax mannequin a heat gun would begin to melt you, and somehow you would begin to explode. Quite the way to go. So there's a lot we could say about the spiritual presence of God, but the aspect of God's spiritual presence I'm referring to here is his indwelling presence. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God actually indwells the hearts of believers in a special way, and that this doesn't happen with other beings or other creatures in creation. If we look at Romans 8, 9 through 10, it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This righteousness cannot come from us because sin has corrupted our bodies. Rather, this righteousness comes from God's Spirit dwelling in us, extending Christ's righteousness to us. God's indwelling spiritual presence is good news because it means that God can walk with you. Because of sin, we were an enemy of God, a rebel against the king. But when you put your faith wholly in Jesus Christ, it opens the way for God's spirit to dwell in you, transform you, and fill you. When we speak of Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're referring to someone who has been stirred up by the spiritual presence of God in their hearts to do God's will and to follow Jesus without any reservations. 
D.L. Moody said, if I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. If I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. The indwelling work of the Holy Spirit is important. It's one of the ways that God helps us to keep walking with him even when the world tries to pull us away. For example, when we fail to pray for what we ought to pray, God's Spirit helps us by praying and interceding for us. When we succumb to a temptation that we should have resisted, God's Spirit convicts us. It helps us to feel guilt and shame that should lead us into repentance. And when we faithfully draw near to God in His Word, God's Spirit enables us to see a wonderful plan that God has for our lives that we cannot see when we're walking with the world. God's miraculous presence reminds us that He is a God full of surprises. God's physical presence reminds us that He is a God who is sympathetic. And God's spiritual presence reminds us that He is a God who longs to walk with you so long as you're willing to stop walking in the way of the world. You know, now that we've surveyed a few of the manifestations of God's omnipresence, let's shift gears to look at a few of the implications. We're going to move through these pretty quickly. Um, But what's important to take away here is that God isn't the kind of God who outsources his work. He's always present and always working to do his good will. So the first implication of God's omnipresence is that God is always present to punish. Amos 9 describes God's judgment against evil in vivid detail. Uh, If you've ever seen the movie Taken, verses 1 to 4 are basically Liam Neeson's, I have a special set of skills, I will find you, and I will destroy you no matter what kind of speech. The Lord declares that whether you dig your way to hell, whether you climb your way into heaven, whether you hide in a mountain, whether you sink to the bottom of the sea, or whether you rally with your enemies against God, God will find you, God will take you, and God will destroy you. The judgment of God is truly a terrifying thing to behold, but we have to speak about it if we're going to grasp his omnipresence. For those who love God in Christ, we're told God works all things together for good, even the painful, difficult things that they experience on this side of heaven. But in Amos 9.4, for those who hate God, we're told God will fix his eyes upon them for evil and not for good. If you're united with Jesus Christ then there is no judgment you need to fear because Jesus was physically present to take your judgment upon himself. But if you're not united with Christ, well, then you should be afraid because who can contend with the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God? God is always present to punish, and the bad guys will never get away from God. But even among the worst of offenders... No one is too far from God's saving grace. And it's never too late to turn from sin and turn to Him. 
The next implication of God's omnipresence is that God is always present to sustain. Uh, what is meant by this is that God is always in control. God is actively upholding all things in the universe. And just like the children's song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Referring specifically to the Son of God, Colossians 1.17 tells us, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Uh, what this means is that Jesus is continually sustaining creation. He is actively preventing creation from falling into chaos and disorder. He holds everything together. Finally, the third implication of God's omnipresence is that God is always present to save. Uh, many scholars agree that Jesus' first words recorded in the Bible are found in Mark 1, 14 through 15. And in these verses, Jesus proclaims the gospel, but he also declares God's presence to save. Not only is the incarnate Son of God physically present to proclaim the good news of salvation. But in verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God's reign is present and near. Now, Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom of God is like some sort of fortress city slowly approaching earth. The kingdom of God is not encroaching upon us like the Death Star. Rather, Jesus is saying that God's invisible, sovereign rule over people's hearts and lives is present right now. And it's going to begin growing through the gospel more and more people in the world are going to start experiencing the life-giving spiritual presence of God in their lives, and all of this is good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Because if God is always present to save, then that means that even if we're not present, God can rescue anyone, anywhere through the word of Christ. God doesn't outsource any of his divine work to punish evil, to sustain creation, or to save lost people. He is fully present in all of it. Now, we've unpacked a lot in today's sermon about the nature of God, and there's a lot more that we could do. Um, but if all we do is grow in head knowledge, then we end up as hearers of the word and not doers of the word. So the big question I want us to consider is what difference should God's presence make in your life? If God is always present, what difference should his presence make in your life? I'd encourage you to think hard about this question this week. And you know, you might discover that God's calling you to think about a decision that's coming up in a new way, or maybe just to do something new that you've never done before. So as we close, I want to leave us with three simple ways that we can respond to God's omnipresence. First, if God is always present, you are never alone with Jesus. If God is always present, you are never alone with Jesus. So many of us struggle with loneliness, and it's not a good feeling. Even God said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
Loneliness can be difficult. But as we've seen in his word, sometimes God calls us to walk the more difficult path. Remember that if God calls you to walk the harder path, it's because God believes in you. And he sees a way for you to overcome any form of adversity you face if you walk with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you never truly walk alone in the world. Walking alone is just a fiction the deceiver wants you to believe. But in reality, you walk with the Spirit of God in you, you walk with the angels of heaven above you, and you walk with the church of God around you. No one ever has to follow Jesus Christ alone. Second, if God is always present, you will always be heard by Jesus. If God is always present, you will always be heard by Jesus. Now, last night, my dad called me, and he gave me a really strange compliment. Apparently, I had stepped on a chrysanthemum near the driveway, getting in and out of the car. Not just once, but twice I did this. Shame on me. He told me that at first look, it looked as if the plant would die. But after some garden research, he found that to get the healthiest of flowers, you need to cut the chrysanthemum back. As a result of my negligence in the garden, that particular flower is now the biggest and healthiest of all the other chrysanthemums. At least that's what I'm told. Now, will I remember this strange compliment, thank you for stepping on my flowers, five weeks from now, five months from now, or even five years from now? Maybe, but probably not or at least not as well as I did in the moment. If you think about all the best compliments you've ever received in your life, how well do you really remember any of them? In any case, the point is that you'll never remember the compliments you receive as well as Jesus remembers everything you say to him. Jesus is always present, and he will hear you now and forevermore. This means that your best praises and your sincerest pleas resound infinitely in the eternal mind of God. Your songs, prayers, sacrifices, your best deeds, those may be forgotten by people, but Jesus will always hear you, and he will always remember you for eternity. Third, if God is always present, your salvation is secure in Jesus. God is always present. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then know that your salvation is hidden away from evil and protected by the most powerful and watchful being in all of existence. No one can take you out of the hand of God, and no one can snatch away 
the good shepherd's sheep. If the Lord is our light and our salvation, whom then shall we fear? If the Lord is our stronghold of life, of whom shall we be afraid? If you walk with Jesus and Jesus walks with you, rest assured that you will never be alone, always be heard, and forever be secure in the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord God, there is none like you in heaven above or in the earth below. All of the light years spanning the cosmos cannot even come close to measuring your presence. God, we know that you are with us, but Lord, we confess that we often try too hard to depend on ourselves to make our own way in the world. God, help us to depend on you and guide our way, Lord, for, our, for your glory. God, help us to sense the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, help us to test all things according to the truth in your word. And God, thank you for sending Jesus to be physically present in this world, to know our weakness and our frame, and to redeem us through his atoning work on the cross. God, please teach us the true meaning of your words. In your presence is fullness of joy. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.